Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Today, I have a specific focus for us, and it is so... um, it, it, is, it is simple in, in the idea of, but when we begin to give our spiritual attention to the work that Jesus did as our substitute in our place, it is simple, yet it is one of the most important areas that we need to have as a clear focus in our lives. It, you never want for the, the truths about what he did for you to become something that just exists in your, in your knowledge, in your head, in, in, your, in the memory of it. You want to have a heart full of faith about it. And there is a difference. Faith comes by hearing. hearing. And so it doesn't come by knowing. Knowing is important. The knowledge, as we grow in the knowledge of God, that's important but we've got to have that consistent hearing. We've got to give more earnest heed to the things we have heard so they don't slip. And so we never want the picture of our redemption to become cloudy. We never want it to become something that, yeah, I know, I know that, I know, I know Jesus died on the cross, I know he did that for me. No, then it loses its impact. Because the more, the more I recognize he did that for me. Yes, I know he did that for everybody. But what causes it to bring the manifestation of the work in me is when I take it personal. In my place, he did that for me. He did that so that I could be free of it. He took that so that I could be healed. He became sin so that I could be made righteous. Without him doing it, without me taking it personal, because, you know, he's done it for everybody. Amen. Did Jesus die for everybody except Hitler? Or did he die for Hitler too? Well, I don't know if Hitler ever recognized it and repented and received it. You see what I'm saying? So even though it's available for whosoever, there are many whosoevers who are not receiving it because they've never taken his substitution work as something for them. And that's why we've got to become skilled in keeping that clear before our eyes. I want to start by looking at the innocence of Jesus. And I, I, as I was studying for this, there were some scriptures that the Lord brought me to that I had not really put together. And so Luke chapter 23, I began to see how the Bible emphasizes the innocence of Jesus. And of course, again, that can be something that we know in our head. And we think, yeah, I know Jesus was innocent, never sinned, da 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 da. That's, that's here, but where's the faith for that? When it's here in the heart, it has a different impact. Jesus, he was innocent. Jesus was the only being ever on the earth who never sinned. Amen. Hallelujah. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory, but Jesus never did. So Luke 23, let's look here, and, and we'll see a few different things here in Luke. Luke 23, 4. Then Pilate said to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. Pilate declares Jesus innocent. Verse 14. 
He said unto them, you have brought this man to me as one that perverts the people, and behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof you accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. So again, Pilate is declaring the innocence of Jesus. Verse 22, he said unto them the third time, why, what evil has he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. So three times we see this emphatic statement of Jesus emphasis from a mere human. Then when Jesus is taken to the cross because of course they said no give us Barabbas and and Jesus went to the cross and in the plan of God as our lamb slain before the foundation of the world Jesus became the sacrifice for our sins and he's on the cross we're still in Luke 23 and now I want you to look with me at verse 46 And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God. Isn't that an odd thing to be doing at the foot of a cross? of someone who, to all appearances, is, is being, cruci- being crucified as a form of capital punishment for a crime against the state. Yeah. And now there is a soldier, not a priest, not a religious person, not even a disciple, a soldier who is there, a centurion, who sees, he's standing there, he's overseeing the, the crucifixion. When the, when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God. He glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. The, the ESV, English Standard Version, says an innocent man. There was a supernatural revelation that came to this centurion, an an understanding. It came to him just like it came to Peter when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, you didn't get that from flesh and, and bone revealing it to you. That came because my father revealed it to you. And now there is a centurion, a Roman soldier who is there at the foot of the cross, who has just watched Jesus die on the cross. And he, he begins to give glory to God. He begins to lift his voice and honor God and said, this was an innocent man. Glory to God. Second Corinthians is one that we stand on often. It is a basis, a, 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 a global positioning point for us, a GPS coordinate for our righteousness in Christ. It says in Second Corinthians, he who knew no sin, chapter 5, verse 21. He who knew no sin, he knew no sin. Hallelujah. He knew no sin. He had never been acquainted with sin. He had never participated in sin. He had never committed a sin. But God has made him to be sin for us. And you could say for me in my place, in my place. He made him to be sin, who, who never sinned. He never committed a sin. He never did any sinful act, but he was made to be sin for me. For me. He was innocent, but for me, he was made to be sin. Why? So that we might be made. Amen. Not human righteousness, not just 
right, and it's okay to enter into the presence of God as a servant, as a slave, as a, you know, just a, we're all just dirty, rotten sinners. No, he said he made us something else. He didn't make me a sinner that was saved by grace. He made me the righteousness. I was a sinner, but I've been remade. He was righteous, but he was remade. Not because he needed to gain anything, but we needed. There was no other way that you and I could ever be righteous in the sight of God without Jesus being made sin. But he was so intent. It was so important to God that you would have the right to approach him. That you could come to him without any condemnation. It was so vital to God that you have a relationship with him so that there's no shame, that there's no withdrawing, there's no pulling back. Can you hear the heart of God when he told Moses, now listen, when they see my glory, they're going to rush the mountain. So tell them to hold back because I don't want anybody to get hurt. Can you imagine how it must have been to God when the people said, we don't want to come near him. And they backed away from the mountain. He thought they were going to come running to the mountain. But they didn't. Why? Because the sin consciousness was so ingrained in them, they withdrew from God, just like Adam withdrew and hid himself from the only one who ever loved him. The only one who could really help him. He withdrew from him and God said, it's so important that there be no more withdrawing from me. That, that you can come to me eager. Yes. You can come to me confident. That you can come into my presence with nothing holding you back. Nothing, you, nothing beating you up, telling you what a rotten person you are. What a failure you are as a son of God. I don't want any of that in your way. So I'm going to make you the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God's righteousness. Hallelujah. So you can come with a smile on your face and you can say, good morning, Lord. I'm so excited for this day. I'm so excited we get to walk together today. I'm not withdrawing from you. I'm not hiding from you. If I do have a failure in my life, I know where to run. I run to the rock of my salvation. I run. Why? Because I've been made the righteousness of God and he'll wash me and he'll cleanse me and he'll help me and I don't have to pull back from him. I don't have to hide from him. I can go to him. Hallelujah. Jesus became sin so we could have that. He did it for us to have this relationship with God. Hallelujah. 1 John chapter 3. And verse 5, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. He was manifested to remove it. To take it away so that it is no longer taunting you, tormenting you, a hindrance to you, an obstacle to you. Hallelujah. He took it away. He was manifested to take away our sins. Say that with me. He was manifested to take away my sin. Hallelujah. And in him is no sin. Hallelujah. So do you see the emphasis on the innocence? Why? Because this is the great exchange. God wants you to see how innocent you are after his blood washes. He wants you to see how innocent you are. He wants you to look at the innocence of Jesus and see yourself with that same innocence because of what he did for you. Hallelujah. He wants you to to connect to that innocence, to, to live like you're innocent, to walk like you're innocent. Why? Because Jesus made you clean. He took sin away from you. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. 
When we look at Jesus, we're looking in the mirror. We're seeing ourselves because we're in Christ. If any man be in Christ, when I look at Christ, I'm looking at me. I'm look, this is what I look like because I've been reborn. I'm not what I did. I'm not the number that used to be behind my name. I'm not the labels they used to put on me. I'm not the things, the mistakes that I've made. I am in Christ, a new creature. I am new And this new me is so new, I need to go to the manual to find out what I look like, to find out what I'm made of. And here in the manual, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26, we see Jesus. It says, Jesus, hallelujah, our high priest became us who is holy. He is holy, harmless, undefiled separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. Hallelujah. Holy. Holy. Set apart. Glory to God. Harmless, undefiled. And then also in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, we see another emphasis of him being without sin. It says, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus came and walked in a body. He walked in the same kind of flesh you're walking in, with the same desires that you have, with the same temptations that you and I have. And he overcame every temptation. And now he lives in us and gives us the strength and the power to live without sin. Hallelujah. But how do we do it? We see what he did for us. We don't try to do it in our own power. We don't try to do it with willpower. We do it with his power in us. And part of that working of that power is our faith in what he did for us. So his innocence, we've seen all these scriptures that have emphasized how harmless, undefiled, sinless, spotless, holy Jesus Christ is and was when he was walking on this earth and is today. His innocence is what gives his sacrifice its value. For a guilty man to die, it's not as valuable but for an innocent man to die in our place, for someone to say their death wouldn't profit them, their death would just pay for what they owe, but my death would liberate them from what they owe. My death would pay the price because the wages of sin is death. That is the the required payment for sin. The wages of sin, it requires death. But he says, I'll, I'll do the dying so that you can live. I'll die. Now, God's original plan is that we would live forever. He created man to be immortal. He created man. If Adam had not sinned, and if no one had ever eaten the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and sinned, then everyone would have been born into the planet with God's original design still in place. Hallelujah. And no one would have died. There wouldn't be no cemeteries. Right? And so what we know as as a normal way of life really isn't normal in God's plan. Because God designed that we would never die. That we would never taste death. So when Adam ate the fruit of the tree, he said, if you eat the fruit in dying, you shall die. It, It speaks of two deaths. He died spiritually the moment he ate the fruit. His physical body took over 900 years before it died. Why? Because God created the body to live forever. It's the curse that is encroaching upon the body. And that's why we've got to take the seeds of the kingdom and sow them into our physical body, into our our spirit, so that our, our faith can change what is happening in our physical bodies. Because you don't have to die sick. You never have to be sick another day in your life. 
but we're going to have to activate the kingdom system so that it overrides what the curse that's operative in the world is doing to the physical body. Amen? We will, we will increase in age, but we don't have to grow old. So go ahead and start saying it now. Start believing for that now. So that you can see when I get ready to go, I'm just going to give up the ghost like Jesus did. After I've lived my long, satisfying life. I'm going to have all my affairs in order. I'm going to know. God's going to give me witness. Okay, I'm ready to go when I'm ready. When I've lived my long, satisfying life, I don't have to go tragically. I don't have to go ill. I don't have to go with disease. I don't have to go with all my, my money spent on, on, on treatments or whatever. I can go when I'm ready. Peacefully. Hallelujah. You're going to have to put your, put your, put your faith in that direction. Plan that. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. This redemption is our emphasis in life because it affects every area of my life. What Jesus did for me needs to be my focus every day. It needs to have my faith brought to it. Why? Because what he did for me affects how I leave this world eventually. Because what he did for me, I, I don't have to go the way everybody goes. I can go to glory in a good old age with the peace of God. But that's not going to happen without my faith on the fact that I'm redeemed from the curse. My emphasizing the, the work that he did affects my finances because I'm redeemed from the curse of lack. But I've, I've got to believe that he became cursed for me. I've got to believe that he was made poor so that through his poverty, is that scripture? It needs to have my attention. It needs to have a, a place, a, a strategic place in my thought life. A strategic place in my faith life. No, 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 no. I'm redeemed from that. I'm redeemed from, from, from ups and downs in the finances. No matter what price they put on the, pie, the, the gas pump, I can pay it. No matter how high the eggs go. If I want eggs, I'm going to crack my eggs and scramble, scramble them up. Amen. Right? Why? Because my God shall supply all my needs. I'm redeemed from the curse of the law, and I am in the kingdom. And so this is like the foundation. This is like the root of my faith that flourishes in all these different areas of my life. Amen. Hallelujah. So the sacrifice of Jesus, then, we've got to give our attention to that, to his death being for us. Let's look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. And we'll begin in verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord. He hath put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul. Talking about Jesus travailing on the cross, travailing in death. He shall see the travail and shall be satisfied. Why? Because that travail was a payment for what we owed. Jesus didn't owe it. If, if he had any sin, then it wouldn't have been a price that could have paid for our sin. But because of his innocence, because he never sinned, his death became a qualified 
payment, an accurate application of the necessary redeeming power to free us. He will be satisfied by the knowledge of Jesus Christ, by his knowledge Shall my righteous servant, just by knowing what Jesus did for me, by knowing how he suffered on the cross for me, by knowing how he died the death I deserved for me, he justifies me. For he shall bear, I want you to circle the word bear, he will bear their iniquities. The word bear means to lift up, to convey or remove to a distance. So he didn't didn't just put them on his back and, and hold them on his back. He took it off of us and moved it away from us. Amen. So that... The sin and the weight of the sin and the, the, the repercussion of the sin is no longer in our vicinity. It is no longer in our geographical, spiritual geographical location. It's nowhere near you. Sin has been removed away from you. So you can't reach out and say, yeah, I still feel my... No, no, no. That might... Your feelings are not an accurate indication because your feelings may still have that because they've been trained to feel like a sinner and that's why you've got to renew your mind and restore your soul so that you begin to see he took sin away from me. He removed it away from, from me so that it's no longer in my land. Hallelujah. It's not in my life. He bore our iniquities. Verse 17, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because That's our inheritance there. Because he has poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore, bear, again, that's the same word to remove, to bear away, to convey, remove to a distance. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, this is a word I want to look at a little bit because the word intercession has come to mean something in the minds of most believers that is only in the category of prayer. They think intercession and they think prayer. But this is not talking about prayer. He made intercession in the word in the Hebrew is the word paga, and it means to strike. It means to lay upon. I want to give you the exact definition here from the Strong's. Hallelujah. To lay upon, to strike upon, to happen to. He made intercession. He made happen to him what should have happened to us. What, what law required, what, what sin required of us, he made happen to him. He struck him with it. God struck him with it. He laid it upon him, and what did he do? He removed it from me. Say that out loud. He removed it from me. He carried it away from me. Why? Because God made intercession. He, he made it to lay upon him. So when we think intercession, we've got to renew our minds that the, to the difference between the work of intercession and the prayer of intercession. The work of intercession is, is the word intercede means to go between, to go between. And so Jesus went between us and God and took the necessary punishment to reconnect us to God. He went between. He became our go-between. How did he do that? By the punishment that was laid upon him. By the, the strike that he took. The, the, he became sin. Then he also interceded between us and Satan because Satan had control. And what did he have to do? 
he had to break the control of Satan, and he had to do that with his work of intercession. So in this work of intercession, he, he became sin, and he carried the sin away so that now Satan has no more right to you. He has no more governing over you. He has no more ability to, to have a say or to have an entry point into our lives. Hallelujah. So this is the sacrifice, this intercession, this striking upon. He made intercession. It was laid upon him. It happened to Jesus. Say that. It happened to Jesus for me. Hallelujah. So Jesus had to become the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Is that what John the Baptist pronounced about him in John chapter 1 and verse 29? The Lamb of God who takes away. Now, before that time, they knew of no Lamb that, that, that they, they were acquainted with and every year having to revisit the sacrifice because they had sinned again. Because they were by nature sinner. They were sinners by nature. And so the law of sin and death was, was what was operative in their life. But Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free... From the law of sin and death. We're no longer sinners by nature. According to 1 Peter, we are partakers of his divine nature. He, he, He gave us a new birth. And in the new birth, he gave us a new nature. So we're not cleaned up sinners. We are children of God, sons of God, born of God, righteous because... Jesus was made sin for us. We are alive unto God and the nature of God lives in us because Jesus took the sin away. Hallelujah. He removed it to a distance. I want to back up in Isaiah and I want to look closer at verses uh, 3, 4, and 5 because we see the outline of his intercession And again, intercession is not the prayer. We now have a prayer of intercession that applies the work of intercession. But without the work of intercession being in place, our prayer of intercession would not work. Because everything that the prayer of intercession accomplishes is based on, it's it's taking the work of intercession and applying it in prayer. So this work of intercession is redemption. This work of intercession is... When the stripes were laid on his back, by those stripes were healed. The work of intercession is he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. The work of intercession is Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 that says he became cursed for us because cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree that we through him becoming a curse that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. So that's the work. It, it happened to him. It was laid upon him. He was struck with it. And that's what we see in verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of pain, sorrows, and acquainted with sickness. The word grief is originally translated sickness. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne. Circle it again. Mark Mark the circles. Connect the circles in verse 4, verse 11, and verse 12. I hope you made the the circle in, in 12. You can see those circles around each word. Bear. He has, surely he has borne. Verse 11 says, for he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12 says, he bear the sin of many. That's the same word. He carried it away. That was our intercession. He removed it. Surely he has removed our diseases. The word griefs, if you'll look it up in Young's Living, which is one of the the most accurate translations from the original language, the word griefs is the word sickness. He has, or it's the word diseases. 
Surely he has carried away our diseases. He has carried away our diseases. He has carried them away. They're not in my vicinity. They can't touch me. He carried away disease. Hallelujah. He has carried away our, our diseases and carried our pains. The word sorrows is, is most accurately defined as pains. He has carried our pains. Hallelujah. When Sister Jeannie had the surgery to remove the uh, tumor that they found on her brain, Pastor Caldwell began using this verse before she even came out of surgery. And he said, Jesus has carried her pains. She's not going to suffer in pain because Jesus has carried her pains. And she didn't have any pain and didn't need much pain medicine even. Even with when she fell and, and broke her hip and had to have the hip surgery last year. They pulled this scripture out again. He has carried my pains. You don't have to suffer with pain and you don't have to tear up your stomach with pain pills. You can just take the seed of, he, of Isaiah 53 and put it in your spirit and your heart knows what to do with the seed. It's good ground. Your heart will bring forth a harvest. He has carried my pain. Hallelujah. And we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our. Did you see how many times the word our is in the, this text? He's carried, he's carried away our diseases. He's carried away our pains. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement necessary to obtain our peace. The punishment, the beating, the chastisement necessary to obtain our nothing missing, nothing broken, our prosperity of life. The chastisement necessary to obtain our peace. Where was it? Upon him. Upon him. Glory to God. It was upon him. He was qualified to carry it away. He was worthy. Worthy is the lamb. He was worthy to carry it. You couldn't have carried it for me. I couldn't have carried it for you. If it was placed on me, it would have taken me out. I would have deserved it, but he didn't deserve it. So he was qualified to remove it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He was cursed for us. For us. Jesus, the Word, made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, John 1, verse 1. And the Word was God. And the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. He became flesh. Why? A body you have prepared for me. I come to do your will, oh God. Sacrifices and burnt offerings aren't providing the relationship that you want with your people. I will come. To do your will. What is God? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why? So that his death could free us from death. So that him becoming a curse could free us from the curse. So that him becoming poor could free us from the curse of poverty. So that the stripes laid upon his body would free us from the diseases that are rampant in this cursed world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How do I access all of that provision? How do I access? I do want to look at 1 Peter 2, 
before I answer that question. 1 Peter 2.24. Who his own self, <laughs> his own self. Matthew 8, I believe it's verse 17, says himself took. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Why? So that we could be dead to sin and live to righteousness. Amen. And then we take that same, that same application for the next part of this. Notice the colon that tags on. Who his own self bore our sicknesses in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sickness and disease should live unto health and vitality. Amen. That's how you apply that, the last part of that verse, by pulling it up and putting it in the same, the same pattern as the first part of the verse. He bore our sins. He bore our sicknesses in his own body. So that we would be dead to sin and dead to disease and dead to sickness and live unto righteousness and live unto health with long life. Hallelujah. How did that happen? He himself took. He had to take it. It couldn't get out of our lives without him taking it. It had to be placed on him by God and it had to be removed from us. And then when we look at what he did and take it personal, that's for me. He did that for me. Then my faith in what he did brings the manifestation of what he did. The freedom from sickness comes from believing he took my sickness. The freedom from the power of sin comes from believing that he has taken sin and removed it from me. He took my sins on the tree. My sins yeah. hit Jesus like a freight train. And he took it and carried it away. And that's the picture. So this is our question. How do we access this? We, we put our faith in our scapegoat. What is a scapegoat? We have the word scapegoat in our vocabulary today because God instituted a scapegoat in the Bible. They never knew what a scapegoat was before God made one. Leviticus 16, he talks about two goats, and we see the picture because Jesus is both the sin offering and the scapegoat. So in the scriptures that we have looked at in Isaiah 53, we have seen both examples given to us in Leviticus 16. I want to begin in Leviticus 16, 5. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats, for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. So he said, I need two goats to accomplish this that needs to be done to deal with the sin. Verse 7, he will take of the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron will cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. The word scapegoat also means the goat of separation. The goat that will separate us from our sins. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. Jesus fulfilled the sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. So there's going to be a shedding of blood and there's going to be one goat who carries the sin away from the people. Verse 15. 
Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Did Jesus tell Mary, don't touch me because I've yet to ascend to my father and your father, my God and your God. He was ascending so that he could put the blood on the mercy seat, the blood he had shed on the cross. Hallelujah. Jesus, our sin offering, his blood was the sin offering, but his life was the scapegoat. Look at verse 20. And when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities. He has borne or carried the transgressions, the iniquities of many. It says... He will confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. This is just a picture. This is just a picture. So that we would know what it looked like when Jesus became sin for us. God pronounced my sin upon Jesus. He laid my sin on Jesus. The same way that every year they took this goat and they pronounced the sin of the people onto this goat. And then they led the goat so far out into the wilderness that it could never find its way back. And Jesus took our sin so far that it can never find its way back. It has no entrance back into our lives. Why? Because we know Jesus is the scapegoat. Jesus was the lamb who takes away the sin. He was the scapegoat who carried our sin and removed it from us. Carried the curse and removed it from us carried sickness and removed it from us? Hallelujah. Verse 22, and the goat shall bear upon him. Is that what we saw? God placed upon him, upon him our sicknesses, upon him our diseases, upon him the curse, upon him the sin, the iniquity, and the transgression. He placed it upon him, but he never sinned. That's why he qualified to take it. That's why he was qualified to remove it. And he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. This was done every year as a picture of what Jesus would do for us. Hallelujah. So I'm going to ask the ushers if they'll distribute the elements today because we need to act on what we've just received in the spirit. We need to release our faith because this is our reality How are we supposed to receive of this provision? This is one of the greatest ways for us to regularly, not in a vain tradition, but in a regular application of our faith. And you don't have to wait till we're in church. There may be things going on in your life that you need the extra emphasis of what Jesus did for you Take communion in your home. Pull a piece of bread out of the bread bag. Take a corner off the bagel. Grab a cracker out of the the cracker box. Pour some juice and come before the Lord. Come before the Lord and say, I'm redeemed from that. That thing that's trying to ruin my life, that sickness that's trying to attack my body, that that pride or that anger that's trying to ruin my relationships, I'm redeemed from that. And, and, And take these covenant elements that represent Jesus. I want to ask if you'll put the amplified version of 1 Corinthians 11, 29 and 30. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11 is Paul explaining to the church at Corinth what Jesus dealt with him about personally concerning communion. He, he made an emphatic uh, um, visitation to the Apostle Paul, and he said, I'm sharing with you what Jesus shared with me about communion. And he explains the words that Jesus said in the first part of that chapter, but then he goes on to expound, and I believe this revelation is something that needs to have our ears pricking up. We need to be paying attention. We need to say, what was it that the Apostle Paul was emphasizing about the value and the importance of the communion? And so in verse 29, he said, anyone who eats and drinks without discriminating and recognizing with due appreciation that it is Christ's body. Now, in the King James, it says it different, and a lot of people have allowed the King James, they, they've taken it out of context, because when you read it in context, you'll see how that fits. But in the King James, it says, he that eats and drinks unworthily. And so I've been in services when the communion goes by, people say, and, and I don't know if anybody here did it, I wasn't watching, but people say, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm not taking communion today. That's not what it said. It didn't talk about your worth. It's unworthily is an adverb, not an adjective describing a person, a noun, place, or thing. It's an adverb describing an action. If you run swiftly, it's describing how you run. If you speak loudly, it's describing how you speak. If you eat unworthily, it's describing how you eat, how you drink. So this in the Amplified says, he that eats and drinks without discriminating and recognizing with due appreciation that it is Christ's body. If they, if they think this is a cracker and this is juice and this is just a vain tradition and I'm just going to do this tradition, then they are eating and drinking a verdict of judgment upon themselves. They're, they're saying, you're going to get what the cracker can give you. A few calories, right? Maybe five. You're going to get what that little sip of juice can give you, like two milligrams of vitamin C. That's what you get out of that. But if you'll look at this and say, today, this represents the shed blood of Jesus. Now I'm going to get something different out of what I'm about to receive. So the word discriminate, it means to make a distinction, to observe a difference, or to distinguish as different. Today, this juice is brought into the kingdom to represent the blood of Jesus to me. The word recognize means to acknowledge or accept formally, to treat it as valid. And the word appreciate, I'm going through the words here in this uh, amplified version. The word appreciate means to value or regard. What were they not doing? They were not valuing the body. They were not valuing the blood. To place a high estimate on is another definition for the word appreciate. And then to be grateful or thankful for. Right. Amen. Hallelujah. So they were going through the motions just like everybody else. But there were a lot of people who were just drinking juice and eating a cracker. They weren't saying this represents what Jesus did for me. And what happened? Verse 30. What happened to those people? That careless and unworthy participation is the reason many people were still sick and weak. And many of them had fallen into the sleep of death. Why? Not because God's provision of long life and health wasn't available. They weren't recognizing and acknowledging, making a distinction and appreciating what was already available for them. So today as we receive. We're receiving what he did for us. Amen. Hallelujah. And we're applying it to our lives today. Whatever is in your life that needs to be changed, the broken body 
is broken to make you whole. The shed blood was shed to make you righteous and to give you a covenant. And in that covenant, you can change whatever needs to be changed in your life by activating your covenant rights. So Jesus said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this and remember me. Father, we come before the broken body of our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer. We see this broken body and take personally everything that Jesus endured. From the stripes that Jesus took on his back to make our bodies whole, the curse that he carried away to bring the blessing into my life, the poverty that was laid upon Jesus so that I could operate in kingdom riches. Father, I look at this broken body and I see my wholeness. Would you say that? I look at this broken body and I see my wholeness. Every area of my family whole. Every area of my physical body made whole. In Jesus' name, take and receive today wholeness. I receive of your brokenness that makes me whole. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for restoration in my bones. Thank you, Lord, for restoration in my family. Thank you, Lord, for wholeness. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, for wholeness. Thank you, Lord, you've made me whole. You were broken for me. You did that for me. He said, this cup is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant that makes me an heir, a joint heir, The new covenant that makes me a son of God. The new covenant that gives me rights and inheritances, responsibilities and privileges. This is my justification. This is my new and living way. Father, as we receive today of the shed blood, we receive all that was accomplished in Jesus pouring out his blood for us. Every price that was paid, we acknowledge it. We distinguish it. We appreciate what is ours by the blood. In Jesus' name, you may receive. covenant receiving communion Jesus said in John chapter 6 my flesh is meat indeed my blood is drink indeed he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood has everlasting life Hallelujah. And Jesus is looking forward to the day that he sits down and has communion with us. Hallelujah. But our communion can be more effective in activating the flows of God, the freedom, the liberty the miracle power than any other way when we bring our faith to that communion. So I encourage you, 
emphasize what he did for you. Make it, make it the center of your prayers, your praises, your thanksgiving. Begin to acknowledge it by appreciating it. Thank you, Lord, that you were cursed for me. That means a lot to me, that you were cursed for me. Thank you for taking the curse for me. Just throughout the day, just stir yourself up with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, that you became poor for me. Thank you, Lord, that you became sin for me. Thank you. Hallelujah. And as you do, you're stirring yourself up with faith in what he did for you. Stand with me to your feet. Hallelujah.